Good morning, and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media soundbites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. Okay, well, let's get the show on the road. Yeah. Um, so I'm sitting here with Dana Morse and Heather Sadusky, and uh, we are putting together our holiday seafood and recipes radio show for Coastal Conversations. And we're super excited because we've all talked to some really great people who have all kinds of things to say to help us figure out how to celebrate Maine seafood during the holiday season. Um, so why don't we start with having you guys introduce yourselves so that our listeners can know who's helped put today's show together. And uh, Dana, let's start with you. All right. Thanks, Natalie. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Dana Morse. I'm part of the Marine Extension team at uh, University of Maine Sea Grant program in UMaine Cooperative Extension. Most of my work is uh, with shellfish these days, and I'm based out of the Darling Marine Center in Walpole. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Dana. Hi, Heather. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Heather Sadusky. I also am part of the Maine Sea Grant Extension team. Right now, I'm working as the Maine Aquaculture Hub Coordinator. And so I'm working on a number of different projects with the goal of strengthening aquaculture in the state of Maine. Fortunately, that puts me in touch with a lot of seafood producers. So I've had a lot of fun putting this together. That's great. That's great. So we um, we spent some time this last month, these last few weeks, um, a little bit before Thanksgiving through now. It's now mid-December when we're recording this, um, talking to a variety of different people, most of them um, deep in the seafood industry, but some of them not, um, and uh, learning a little bit from them about what it is that makes seafood so great on the coast of Maine. And also, um, we've heard a lot of really great recipes about how to use various different species um, as part of our holiday seafood uh, celebrations with our own families this season. So um, the show during this show, we're basically going to share all of these clips with our listeners um, and share what some of these great recipes are and what some of these traditions are that people have told us about. So that's the nature of the show. Um, and we'll take turns kind of sharing with you all um, who got interviewed and um, giving you a little bit of background about the person um, who you're about to hear from. And so our first interviewee, her name is Kathy Tenga Gonzalez, um, and she is uh, the one who is not specifically in the seafood industry. Um, instead, Kathy has been the senior graphic designer at Maine Sea Grant for the last, I think, 16 years. So Heather and Dana and I work with her all the time. And uh, the one thing that we've discovered about Kathy is that she's an incredible cook. Um, and she um, actually studied at the French Culinary Institute in New York City 
a long time ago, so she brings all kinds of good knowledge about food. Um, she tells us in this story about a family seafood tradition called the Feast of the Seven Fishes, which I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners will have heard of because it seems to be gaining a lot of sort of an increasing amount of popularity in the state of Maine. So here is Kathy telling us about the Feast of the Seven Fishes. Well, um, I am half, uh, half Italian, well, yeah, half Italian American, and um, I'm from New York. I was born in uh, Long Island, New York. I grew up with a tradition called the Feast of the Seven Fishes, and this was, it's a, an Italian American tradition not Italian, just Italian-American, um, more specifically to the New York region. And it consists of getting together with your family on Christmas Eve and eating lots and lots of fish and shellfish and different kinds of seafood prepared, mostly by frying, but all sorts of other ways. Well, the funny thing is in Italy, um, traditionally, a lot of people will fast on Christmas Eve. I don't know if you know about Catholicism, but there it used to be on um fridays was always a fish day you couldn't eat meat at all so their uh i guess their take on fasting was to eat fish rather than meat on christmas eve so just you know eat a lot of fish but you're not eating meat so it's kind of like fasting that that's the whole idea you you try to i think it's based on all sorts of things that in the bible there's the number 7 is mentioned you know many many times that's what it said, that um, the seven comes from all the references in the Bible. Uh, and when we used to have it, my aunts would prepare it in Brooklyn. would always go over one of my aunt houses, my Aunt Angie. We'd go over her house and her sisters would all get together and fry up tons of food. We'd have literally tablefuls of fried fish and fried uh, calamari. There'd be uh, shrimp. There'd be like spaghetti with clam sauce. The Italians did uh, specific ones, but they do eel. Some of them do eel and um, bacala. They would take the salted cod and um, cook that up too in a stew and such. But, you know, we're up here in Maine, so we can get really good fresh cod. So it's, it's something that, that could be adaptable. It's, you're, you're not stuck in it, but usually it has to do with, you know, cooking with oregano or in a red sauce or lots of garlic. I would probably make linguine with quahogs or uh, soft shell clams. I'd probably make a nice stew with mussels and uh, like some white wine and tomatoes and garlic with some pieces of bread, toasted bread in it. Could make a seaweed salad. Oh, well, uh, a linguine with a clam sauce would be uh, pretty simple to make. Some people don't use onion. Whenever I make it, I do. I cut up some onions really fine and then plenty of garlic and try to get fresh oregano and fresh parsley and um, basically cook up the onions and the garlic, deglaze the pan with, with some white wine and then um, throw in the clams so they're not cooked too much, of course. A tiny bit of lemon juice and then put the herbs in there and toss it with some thin spaghetti. I think the simpler, the better, and the quicker, the better. If you have some nice, fresh uh, white fish, just to dredge it in some flour, maybe flour with a little bit of cayenne and salt and pepper would be plenty, and then quick fry it uh, just so it's brown. And once it comes out, it gets nice. It'll be nice and moist inside. 
and calamari or squid, you definitely, that definitely needs to be flash fried. Otherwise it gets very rubbery. There's another thing you can do with calamari is to have it chopped up into the rings and the little tentacles and all, and to cook it in a red sauce. But when you do that, you have to cook it for a really long time because it go, it'll go from rubbery to soft and really good, but it takes like an hour to do. And um, one thing about up here, as opposed to New York, is the seafood that you find in the grocery stores is really good. I never bought seafood in a supermarket in New York. It was, you'd always have to go to a separate uh, fish store. But um, up here, it's phenomenal. I'm very happy with uh, what I can get in the regular grocery store up here. I thought Kathy's recipe was super interesting. All of her seven fishes recipes, the ones that she grew up with, the ones that she's tried recently. And I thought it was kind of funny because I grew up with seven fishes as well. And mine sounded so different. We never had any fried seafood. We had quite a lot of sauces and red sauce in particular, which is sounds like um, that's what she's making in her house these days. Um, who I spoke to, who I think we're going to get to next, is Wade and Claire Day. Wade is um, a harbor master. He used to be a lobsterman, and he lives way up in Machiasport, or down east, I guess I should say. And um, he, I called him to learn some more about lobster stew, which is a bit new to me since I'm not originally from Maine. And then his wife, Claire, he called her in to make sure he was getting the recipe right when it came to the seafood chowder. So they had, they had uh, some good recipes to share with me. All, all you have to do is put a pan on uh, stove, gas or electric, whatever you might have, a uh, frying pan, and put butter in it, a liberal amount of butter, cut up a lobster in whatever size chunks you want, put that in there, saute that, then take a little bit of milk, you know, whole milk, and don't let it come to a boil. Uh, just, you know, let it uh, simmer for a while, and then take... Uh, canned milk and put that on top of that and stir everything all together and make sure it don't come to a boil and you've got your lobster soup. Wow, that is quite the easy dish, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's really simple. I just crumble up crackers and put them in there and, you know, to help uh, so I got some of the juice in it that chase it. Makes it, you know, they taste exactly like the lobster. So when you know you got it right, it will be orange on top. You know, you let it set for a minute, the butter and everything makes it uh, turn orange on top. So. And does it have to cook for a while or, or just... Not very long, okay. no. No, you can make one in about uh, 10 minutes. Hello. Hi there. We're talking about traditional seafood recipes, and it sounds like you've got a handle on seafood chowder. Well, the chowder, when you make a chowder, it has potatoes in it, like, like in cubes. So you cut up in cubes of potatoes, put them in, and you have to put them cause in water to cook. After that's cooked, you put your seafood in, cause, which doesn't take very long to cook at all. And, and that you can boil. I mean, if it comes to a boil, 
that's okay because it's just got the water. But then after you add all your seafood, you turn it down and add, I just add canned milk. Wade always uses whole milk too. I always just use canned milk. Mine's better than hers. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> While we're covering seafood stews, uh, I want to hand it over to Dana now, uh, who spoke with Smokey McKean about an oyster stew. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Heather. Yeah, we seem to be on a little bit of a uh, stew kick, and uh, this next piece um, is a delicious way to kind of carry on that tradition, I suppose. Uh, our next interview was with uh, Jeff McKean. Uh, everybody calls Jeff Smokey, I think even his mother. So we'll refer to Jeff as Smokey for the rest of this. Um, and Smokey is one of the founders and partners of the Pemiquid Oyster Company. Um, and they've been in business for about 35 years. His recipe uh, is an oyster stew. And so here's a person with a pretty deep understanding of, of oysters and the food, the good food that comes with them. So here goes Smokey. I started uh, an oyster stew tradition in my family. And... Um kind of got the recipe um, originally from uh, an article that was written by Jasper White, the chef, Boston chef, who's written numerous cookbooks and runs several restaurants in the Boston area. Mm. Um, and he had done an article for Yankee Magazine in the early days of the Pemmican Oyster Company's existence. And the reason it came to my attention was because he had said in the article that his, fav his favorite oysters were the ones that came from Maine and particularly the Milan oysters and the Pemmican oysters from Tamascot. <laughs> so it was like, right off. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of our first, uh, you know, our first na regional or national um, acknowledgement of what we were doing. And uh, so that was pretty cool. And so I read about his oyster stew recipe and kind of adapted my own from there and used that in the uh, Christmas Eve oyster stew. Um, because an oyster stew is a pretty simple, it, it should be simple, is what most people say about oyster stew. It doesn't have potatoes, it's not clam chowder, it doesn't have a lot in it besides some kind of milk product, the oysters, and maybe a little bit of spice. Um, and of course the old Maine oyster stew is made with canned oysters, but a, a, a stew made fresh would shuck them and, and drop them right into the saucepan is the way to do it. Yeah. And so... Um, Jasper's recipe and the recipe I've used for Christmas Eve is essentially that you shuck out the oysters, depending how many, depending on how many people you're serving. And um, you take the oysters and, of course, their liquor. So you're careful to, to hold all the liquor right. uh, when you shuck them and uh, put them in the saucepan. Add an equal amount of water to the volume of oysters and oyster, and oyster liquor and heat it up slowly and don't overcook it. Um, don't cook the oysters anymore. They always say uh, until the edges begin to curl. That's when it's done. So as soon as that happens, you take it off the heat, you strain um, the oysters out of the liquid and you return the liquid to the saucepan and hold the oysters off to the side so they're like mostly cooked but okay. not not overcooked and uh and then in a separate pan saute um in a little bit of butter saute maybe some scallion or some shallot 
shallots a little milder and sweeter tasting than onion. Um, you could use onion too, a mild onion. And then uh, because it's Christmas Eve in this in this uh, scenario, I take a red pepper and a green pepper and <laughs> chop them up a little fine and saute them in the butter with the shallot. And, and then, uh, you know, just lightly saute that until it's kind of cooked. And then go back to the saucepan, put it back on the heat with the oyster liquor and the water, heat it up again, add the sautéed vegetables, and then slowly add heavy cream. And the idea is that you've added water, thinning down the cream. It's not like you're guzzling down gobs of heavy cream, but the, the cream doesn't uh, curdle when you heat it. So if you use milk, you got to be real careful that you don't scald it or, or curdle the milk when you heat it up. So the cream is, is a little more hearty in the pan. And heat that all up and let it simmer for a little bit. And then just before you're ready to serve it, um, cook the oysters back in. That's the way you prevent from overcooking the oysters. But you've cooked the flavor, some of the flavor of the oysters into that oyster liquor and water. It's a delicate taste, but it's really rich. And then you garnish the top with something else, you know, some chopped uh, green onion or something to make it look fancy. And um, there, there you go. Leave it out into the bowls at Christmas Eve. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU 89.9 FM in Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org with me, your host, Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant. And today we're doing something a little bit different. Um, I have co-hosts with me also from Maine Sea Grant, Heather Sadusky and Dana Morse, who are helping me introduce all of our guest speakers today because the three of us have traipsed around talking to all kinds of different people that we work with or are familiar with or are somehow connected with the seafood industry, both farmed and wild harvest, um, to celebrate Maine seafood in honor of the holidays. So you've been hearing uh, Dana and Heather help us introduce our guests. And the most recent one that you just heard from was Smoking McKean from Pemaquid Oyster. And before that, you heard from Wade and Claire Day of Machiasport. And before that, you heard from Kathy Tenga Gonzalez talking about the Feast of the Seven Fishes. So we're going to switch a little bit now, and we're going to go um, hear from Afton Hupper, who Heather will introduce, um, who's going to share a really cool recipe with halibut. That's right. Thank you, Natalie. Uh, I spoke with Afton Hupper, who is the Outreach and Development Specialist at the Maine Aquaculture Association. So she currently works with the aquaculture industry, but she grew up in a lobstering family. Her dad, her brother, um, everyone before her was a lobsterman. And so she actually did not share a lobster recipe. She shared perhaps a lesser known recipe with flatfish. Um, hers calls for halibut, but you could use a different type of ground fish. And it is a halibut lasagna. Yes, well, as you can imagine, we grew up eating kind of the classics. You know, we would have lobster stew on Christmas Eve, um, very simple preparation. We would do things like, um, you know, bacon wrapped scallops and ceviche and that kind of thing. But those are those are more common um, sort of hors d'oeuvres and Christmas Eve dishes. So I wanted to contribute a recipe that is kind of unique. And um, I don't think a lot of people have ever tried it. So it might inspire people to try something new this holiday season. And it's great comfort food because it's very 
warm and just like warms your soul when you eat it. So it's halibut lasagna. And the recipe is actually for Alaskan halibut lasagna, but you could definitely use Maine halibut or any white fish you wanted. Um, you could use cod, haddock would be good. Um, really any white fish that um, is, is your favorite or that's seasonally available. You could use frozen fish too, which makes it really easy. Um, and there's a limited number of ingredients. It's essentially a regular lasagna, like lasagna noodles. And instead of meat, there's halibut or white fish. And it's just the fish layered on the noodles with a cream sauce and then Swiss cheese on the top. It's very simple. It's just like a very um, comforting, hearty dish for cold Maine winter and fall months. So it's all homemade except for the noodles. So we would buy like lasagna noodles, just a regular kind. Um, and the sauce is homemade. So basically you'd start by melting, melting your butter in your large skillet, add your, your fish, um, two cloves of garlic, um, a three quarter teaspoon of dried basil and cook that for 10 minutes. So cook the fish with all of your aromatics, so to speak. Okay. Um, remove that set aside and then you're going to make your white sauce in that pan by adding the rest of the butter to the skillet flour and salt so you make a roux um okay. cook and stir that until it's starting to brown a little bit then you're going to add in um chicken broth cream so half and half we usually don't use heavy you could use heavy cream but my mom was always trying to be a little on the healthy side so she would do half <laughs> and half instead so a cup of half half and half and the chicken broth and then bring that to a boil so that the roux cooks down and um, thickens the cream sauce. Once your cream sauce is done, you are going to want to start cooking the noodles. Um, once the noodles are cooked, you can start layering in a nine by 13 baking dish. So you would take half of the noodles, the halibut, the white sauce, and half of you're going to have two cups of shredded Swiss cheese. So take half of that and make like all of your layers and then you'd repeat it. So it's like a two layer lasagna. It bakes for three, for 20 minutes at 350. And then you bake it for an additional 15 minutes with the cover, with the tin foil off so that the cheese browns on the top. So, and then you can sprinkle parsley on it if you desire. Wow. I love it. So final question did you enjoy this dish growing up? Was it one that you liked or was it one of those ones that your mom made and you were like, well, more seafood and now I have to eat it? <laughs> um, you know, growing up, I, we ate a good amount of fish, but I think the, the stereotype of fishing families is that they eat seafood constantly. And that really wasn't the case. We ate just like every other American family, a lot of home cooked meals, a lot of meat and potatoes, a lot of fresh veggies, but um, I've, I think that I liked it. I mean, I have fond memories of eating it. I, I don't think when I was that age, I realized how rare it was for kids to be served a halibut lasagna. Like it's not a well-known or a popular dish. And a lot of people probably wouldn't know how to, how to make it. So I think now I've realized like, wow, that's pretty cool that um, my mom made that for us. And that was like one of our little traditions. That was Afton Hupper from the Maine Aquaculture Association telling us all about 
halibut lasagna. Who ever thought of using halibut and lasagna? I actually have some halibut in my freezer from local friends around MDI who fished it a few months ago. So I think I'm gonna have to try that this holiday season. Um, next on the docket is someone that I talked to who is Marnie Reed Kroll of Deer Isle. And she just published a cookbook called Recipe Ideas for Farm Sea Scallops which features traditional recipe ideas from around the world for how to use Maine scallops. Um, she especially focuses on the whole scallop, such as when they come off the Penobscot Bay scallop farm that's run by Marsden Brewer and his son, Bob, who are something of pioneers in scallop aquaculture farming in the state. And before we jump into Marnie, um, Dana, you are also quite knowledgeable about scallop farming. So help set the context for us here on scallop farming in the state of Maine. Sure. Um, well, scallop farming, um, while it kind of se seems new, uh, there's been a bunch of us working on this particular uh, industry opportunity for about 20 years. Uh, and so there's been a long history of little steps and little steps and little steps and things really start to be, uh, start to come together now. Um, and uh, Marnie's cookbook, together with Marsden Brewer, really outlines how sea scallops um, can be used as, as food. Uh, normally, you and I and the, and the rest of the United States, we eat just the muscle part, uh, the adductor muscle of the scallop or the scallop meat. Uh, but most of the rest of the planet will use the entire scallop or, or certainly other parts of it as well. And so... Um, this industry and this cookbook and Marnie in particular really helps to introduce us all to those things. I'm Marnie Reed Kroll and I live on Deer Isle and I've been here first as a summer person. I came as an artist before Haystack even existed. That's how, yes, I'm now 82. <laughs> uh, my husband's an ecologist and he did research on animal populations. And that took us around the world to quite a number of places uh, that were not fancy hotels. So I learned quite a bit about folk cooking and local markets, which turned out to be useful because one day I went to pick up some whole farm scallops from Marsden Brewer. And we fell into conversation. And he said, you know, Marnie, the trouble is people do not know what to do with these whole scallops because they weren't available for at least a whole generation. So when he gave me the challenge, he started then also giving me the scallops. So I cooked them and tried them out on my husband to see if he liked them. And they're most, mostly based on traditional ways of cooking around the world. So I've always been a big fan that if a recipe was handed down mouth to mouth from one cook to another without a cookbook for hundreds of years, you knew it was good. <laughs> so I, I think and that proved to be true with taking seafood, traditional ways of handling seafood and cooking them with our main scallops, just absolutely terrific. The cookbook was recipe ideas for whole farm scallops. And it's an absolute holiday celebration because it's so right for Maine coastal communities. Oh, but it's also a New Year's treat because the, in Chinese, Japanese imagery, the scallop shell stands for New Year's, new beginnings. And of course in Christianity, it stands for 
Apostle James and the pilgrims in Europe would make their walking trip across Europe, wherever they lived, to go pay homage to James in northern, that little stick out part of Spain. So That's it's a very symbolic thing. That's really interesting. Um, my family is originally from Belgium, and so I grew up eating Coquille Saint-Jacques, and Coquille means yeah. shell in St. James. I, I never knew yeah. that, that origin. That's yeah. neat. And that yeah. recipe is in the cookbook, and it's, it's a similar, it's not that different. If you add spinach to it, it's probably the dish that will be on our table on Christmas, because scallops Rockefeller uh, with on the shell, which looks so cool, and something that's spinach and the whole scallop, uh, the pieces, the, the, the mantle that ring around the edge and the body parts are chopped up fine and put with the spinach, and then that's topped with uh, butter-brown crumbs, and the butter-brown big whole scallop, it looks so fancy. <laughs> Like many scallop recipes are like chowder recipes. They taste better if you do them the night before. There's a dip that I make that is with um, cream cheese. And an interesting surprise that we're just catching on to is the Japanese figured out some time ago the what they call the umami principle. Well, most of us now know the word umami. We don't physically, chemistry, know exactly why some things enhance other flavors. But it turns out that cheese and of course, if you're making chowder, you already know evaporated milk and thyme are the secrets. Thyme meaning if you made it the night ahead, the molecules have time to do what they're gonna do. And so this making this dip and then serving it Christmas morning for breakfast with the scallops on top of polenta is absolutely luscious and you're not even working. <laughs> so what a surprise. So that's why I say the future of this is encouraging and isn't it nice to have something in our world where the future is the right size it should be done owner operated it doesn't work nearly as well to have to do a big deal out in the water you can do it big deal processing efficiently on land that's a different issue but for independent operators to make that living that they like to make and it will deal we hope with the change in climate because the range of the scallop goes is quite large. They go quite far south naturally. So all of those things make me feel really pleased about this. And the time is right now. And again, this is a thanks to COVID. Um, as people have noticed that our all of our fishing communities this past fall really poured on the coal to let people know that local products. Here we are living right near this wonderful coastline and we get these great products and it works not only for the stability of the bay but for the stability of our coastal community. So you're doing a patriotic thing by eating our local seafood and since it happens to be absolutely delicious <laughs> I consider that a real bonus. So it's a gift all the way around. That was Marnie Reed Kroll, who just had her new cookbook pub published called Recipe Ideas for Farmed Scallops. And um, Dana, can you tell us how listeners can access scallops, whether they're farmed scallops or wild scallops? 
Sure, sure thing. Um, farmed scallops are uh, relatively low volume at the moment. Um, and so the supply is not huge. Um, I would suggest if, if people are looking to source whole scallops, that they get in touch with Marsden and Bob Brewer. Their website is uh, penbayfarmedscallops.com. Uh, and that way they can ask where their outlets are. Um, and by happy chance, here we are in a, in a Christmas time radio show, we're right spang in the middle of the scallop season here in Maine, both the drag season and the dive season. Um, and I have to say, for people who, um, them's as knows, as it were, I have heard many a dealer say that Maine scallops are about the best kind of scallops you're gonna get on the, on the global marketplace because of the species and because of the place that they're grown. So lucky for us, uh, you can find fresh scallops at uh, dealers. Um, sometimes you can find um, fishermen peddling scallops on the side of the road. Those are oftentimes, those are great quality scallops. Uh, but right now we're in high season for about the best kind of scallop that you can find anywhere. Thanks, Dana. Um, it reminds me of something that Kathy said in her interview at the very top of the show um, about the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And I loved her quote at the end where she talked about how though she spent a lot of her life in New York City, um, what she loved about Maine was that in Maine, you can get fresh seafood at your local grocery store and it's going to be high quality, awesome seafood. Um, so that seems to, to bear out for a lot of the species that we're talking about. On the topic of scallops, I spoke with Monique Combs, who is the Director of Marine Programs over at the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association, and she shared with me an interesting scallop recipe I'd never heard of. It's called Coquille Saint-Jacques, and she grew up with it. It's actually not all that difficult, but sounds very impressive looking. Um, she also shared a recipe regarding corned hake that again, I had never heard of. So it's been really fun for me to listen. And I'll let her tell you all about Coquille Saint-Jacques. I have the recipe from my grandmother and it's kind of hilarious because like right in the top of it, it says, like, do not share this family recipe. I'm like, oh, <laughs> time's passed, it's okay, grandma. Um, so in, uh, like I said, you can find some easier ones that are on, uh, um, you know, different food websites, but um, it basically requires you to poach the scallops in like a white wine sauce with some mushrooms and, you know, getting it to a point where it's a little bit of a thicker base with the scallops. And then you put it in the scallop shell <laughs> and um, I think you can sprinkle cheese on the top of it and then you roast it or breadcrumbs and you roast it and it gets like really crunchy on top, plus the scallop and the white wine sauce. It's delicious. It's almost like a coco vin, you know, when you do a chicken, which is chicken and white wine sauce. It's basically like that, except with scallops and in a shell. Um, and I say cheese, uh, you don't have to use cheese, but I want to talk about um, that I believe seafood and cheese go well together. Mm. And that people that say seafood and cheese does not go well together. I think that that's like an you know, I, I feel like it's a little bit outdated and I, I do, you know, especially like a nice Parmesan, if you do like a crusted haddock with a little Parmesan or again, the cookie Saint-Jacques with a little bit of Parmesan cheese in the breadcrumbs. So it makes it like a little bit salty too. Yeah. You can't go wrong. Yeah. One of my uh, favorite is corned hake. 
corned hake, much like the cookies Saint-Jacques, is a really um, comfort meal for fishing oh, families. Oh. I think it's it's one of those meals that is just, it's culturally significant and you'll find it all along the coast of Maine, but each family will be like, oh, I don't pickle my onions that way. Or, oh, I don't, you know, I don't do it that way. But the, the idea of the recipe is the same throughout. So corned hake is um, a, a salted hake. Um, okay. Back in the day, hake was abundant, it still is. And old timers would salt fish to preserve it. That helps keep it a long time. And then you serve the, the corned hake with boiled potatoes, um, bacon renderings, uh, or salt pork. You can use salt pork and you cut it up too. So that, and then pickled onions. And it sounds really simple and it is really simple and it packs a punch. And yeah. I mean, really and truly, if you're making corned hake, it really is just the components that are important not necessarily the specific. So you can use hake, you could use pollock, you could use cod, you could use halibut if you wanted okay. to. It's really the the fish, the starch, which is the the, the potatoes, the mm. fat, which is the salt pork and renderings, and then the vinegar, which is the pickled onions. Okay. If you keep that sort of formula in mind, you can sort of mess around with it. And with things like corn cake and fish tacos, um, to me, they really negate the fear that a lot of people have of overcooking fish. I actually, anytime I'm like, well, if you're worried about overcooking fish, just make fish tacos, right? Because it's going to fall apart anyway. You're going to put pico de gallo on it anyway. You're going to, you know, and all the fixings, like you're not even going to know that it's overcooked and it's still going to be delicious. Like, <laughs> and again, it just goes back to like fish is super durable. Just, you know, get creative with it. I mean, we have this bounty of seafood in Maine and it should be celebrated and experienced. It's super exciting as a fishing family and somebody that works for the fishing industry to even be able to have these opportunities that people are excited about. Because I think we're all sort of remembering what's important to us, um, not to mention the fact that seafood's such a healthy protein. Um, and then sharing Maine in that type of way is also something that I think people are really going to be um, looking for, practical gifts. So that was Monique Coombs from the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association, introduced by Heather Sadusky. Thank you, Heather. Um, if you are just tuning in, you're listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 FM in Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU with me, your host, Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant and my guest co-hosts today, Dana Morris and Heather Sadusky, also from Maine Sea Grant. Um, so next on our list is John Cotton, who I think is our last person to talk about scallops today. And um, Dana got a chance to catch up with John. So Dana, will you introduce who John is? Certainly. Uh, and I'll just have to say, since I love to talk about and eat and work with scallops, this segment of the show has been great, <laughs> which I'm grateful for. Um, John Cotton is a lifelong fisherman. Um, mostly these days, he's a tuna fisherman. Uh, and <laughs> probably most people would be uh, impressed and jealous at the, the number of large, beautiful fish that he's brought to market. Um, and uh, just an adventurous guy. Uh, and um, I also want to have dinner at his house one of these days because he also has a, a fair bit of culinary training. So uh, his, um, his offering here, his recipe, um, scallops a la meunier, 
um, applies not only to scallops, but also to other seafoods as a way to cook as well, uh, which sounded very interesting. So here's John. I got a good recipe here, a simple one with scallops. And uh, it's got a French name. It's called scallops à la meunière. And meunière is a French term for a style to cook almost any kind of seafood. Basically sautéed. So meunière, the scallops are no flour in it, just salt, pepper, you put them in a hot cast iron skillet. Sear them quickly on both sides, and you know, a couple minutes, three minutes at the most. Take them out, then you take, I just take a whole stick of butter, and you slice it, and you throw that in the hot pan and melt it without burning it, taking it off the pan, off the fire if it gets too hot. And as it melts, once it's fully melted, and you're swirling it around, you add in the juice of one lemon, and that emulsifies the butter and turns it into a sauce. It's creamy, and then you add two. Well, you have tablespoon chopped parsley, and, and then you put the scallops back in, and, and then you pour that over rice or whatever, rice pasta. But you can do the meunier, you can do it with any kind of fish. Just exactly what I just said, but you do it with fish, or, uh, you know. It's really the best. Now, when you use fish, you flour the fish. And that kind of makes it crispier, because scallops, there's so much sugar in them, they get nice and brown on the outside. So we'll leave scallops for the moment. Uh, and in this program, we're covering a number of uh, fish and shellfish that seem rather iconic and synonymous with the state. Uh, Heather uh, spoke with Andrew Lively about another of Maine's coastal and frankly inland icons, the Atlantic salmon. Yes, that's right. I spoke with Andrew Lively over at Cook Aquaculture. Um, so they are producing Atlantic salmon right here in the Downeast region of Maine in our cold, clean waters. And he walks us through a couple recipes for how you can prepare a holiday salmon filet. I'll let Andrew uh, get into that now. Yep. So this one, uh, you, you have to prepare the glaze. So the glaze is uh, one third of a cup of orange juice, a third of a cup of pomegranate juice, uh, one inch piece of ginger uh, ground, garlic clove uh, smashed, half a teaspoon of red chili flakes, uh, quarter of a cup of honey, uh, spring of fresh thyme. Uh, thyme is good for your, your stomach and your digestive system. And then the, the, the zest of an orange, zest, uh, zest one orange. Bring the orange juice, pomegranate juice, ginger, garlic, and chili flakes to a simmer for about five minutes. Stir in the honey and the thyme and the orange zest, and then you let it simmer for another eight to 10 minutes. You remove that from the heat, uh, and then you take out the, uh, the, the ginger, the garlic, and the thyme sprig. Uh, divide the glaze in half and set aside a one half small bowl for preserving. Uh, lightly oil the uh, uh, clean grill uh, to around 375. Put, put the salmon, make sure the salmon is dry. Put the fish uh, on the grill. For this recipe, a nice, uh, just a charring of the salmon on, on a grill uh, is, is what I would prefer. And uh, just do that in the grill, flip it over both sides, and then, uh, then put the, uh, the glaze over top of the, of the, uh, the fish. Uh, so I've done this one in a couple of different ways, and, and I must say that... Uh, uh, we did this one time uh, in a restaurant as a demo with uh, with a whole <laughs> bunch of 
Beard Award winning chefs, and we were ready for a whole bunch of questions, and they 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 came up with all kinds of different alternatives to pomegranate juice. So that's one of the nice things about Atlantic salmon. It is so versatile. It is a it is a flavorful fish, but it's not an overpowering flavor, and uh, and we can get it fresh twelve months out of the year in Maine. Thank you to Andrew for sharing his fantastic salmon recipes. I do think I will try one at my family Christmas this year as a little bit of an appetizer. Next up, uh, I know Natalie spoke with Fiona DeConing um, on the topic of farm seafood. The DeConings produce mussels in the Down East region. So Natalie, why don't you uh, introduce Fiona to us? Thank you, Heather. Um, yeah, so I spoke with Fiona DeConing um, she and her family live down, practically down the street from me. Um, so Fiona is the matriarch of a family-based mussel farming operation around Mount Desert Island. And the DeConings have been in Maine for a long time, but her husband, um, Teo, represents the seventh generation, I think, of mussel farmers from the Netherlands. Um, and so it's always great to hear from them about some of their recipes that straddle both sides of the big pond. So here is Fiona sharing her favorite mussel recipe for the holidays. My name is Fiona DeGoning and my family and I farm mussels sort of around um, NDI in Frenchman Bay. So uh, does your family have any seafood traditions around the holidays? Insofar as we eat a lot of it, <laughs> probably that. You see, we've got this kind of mix of cultures going on in our family because we are broadly European, but we have the, the very strong old Christmas celebration and the Sinterklaas celebration, none of which are particularly seafoody. But then we've got generations of mussel farming, so mussels are incorporated in odd ways through it as well. So mussels would be part of it, but they tend to be. Um, they would be sort of more for lunches than a main evening meal, or we'd have them on Christmas Eve with more fish dishes and mussels. We, I mean, they're so versatile. We, do, we use them for all sorts of things. But typically, I would use, would probably eat mussels because I know how to cook them and they're quick. I would use them in those busy days when you are, you get people to come and they're, you've not too many at once, but you get them unexpectedly visiting in those days before COVID that you could have that sort of thing. So um, it's because they're, they're nature's fast food and yet it looks as though it's really special. You know, you, you can throw things together and then you've got this lovely steaming dish of tasty seafood. So that's a, a particular favorite of mine and I'll give it how we, how I like to make them the best is, is with a pasta and you can choose any pasta you like really. Um, but you, you put a, a base of a, t a tin of anchovies in olive oil and as much garlic as you like. I like lots of it. So you crush the garlic and the, and the anchovies and you put it on a low heat on a, on a heavy iron pan and you lift it just on, a, on number two, like a, a lowish heat so that you soften the anchovies and you soften the garlic, mix that into a sort of paste so that that's off. Then you put in some sliced leeks. Then you put in some uh, your mussels. So how it depends how many. Again, I'm not very good at weighing it. So it's like hands full of mussels. You chop up some of the cherry tomatoes or vine tomatoes, something that has a real fresh tomato flavor. Then you put in um, your 
uh, hands full of pasta, you have to get used to how much you would cook because it depends on the liquid coming out of the muscle. So you basically cook the pasta in the juices of the muscle. So as the muscles cook, the juices come out, the pasta cooks in that. You sprinkle some fresh parsley on it as, as they all open up. Once the muscles are open, up they're cooked at that time the the pasta's soaked up the juices little a bit of fresh parmesan on it and you eat it and it's really it's very quick salt and pepper that's all it needs it is really good that's my favorite one <laughs> that sounds delicious so you're cooking the pasta with the yes, at the same time it's a jamie oliver um recipe so you can google it but i mean i, I would say with with the prevalence of recipes and the easy access is almost I, I tend to not stick with one old favorite i tend to like try new things oh it had some um dried um dried chili flakes pepper flakes in it just to again depending on how much you like so it just gives a little bit of a pep but it's really quick the whole thing's done in about 20 minutes so it and yet it's really tasty and you've got the, the tartness of the tomato which I have managed to get my American-born granddaughter to say tomato, not tomato, by the way, which I'm really proud of. <laughs> so she, Pippa says tomato with me. So we, you get that sort of tartness, but the, the, the full flavor of the mussels and the saltiness of the anchovy garlic um, base is really good. But I, I'm, I'm all for one for making it simple, good ingredients, simple and quick. <laughs> I haven't got time for, for fuffing about with, and then with a nice, you know, you, a nice wine or some beer. Beer's good with it too, actually. So it depends what you like to drink. Thank you, Fiona DeConing, mussel farmer out of Mount Desert Island. Um, Heather, I think that you have our last uh, interviewees, and I'm going to say more than one because I know there was a group of them talking with you. Um, and what I love about closing out with this family, especially after the Deconings, is um, the family perspective of seafood during the holidays. So tell us a little bit about the Butterfields. Yeah, I had such a pleasure speaking with three generations of the Butterfield family. Uh, they shared with me a recipe for their oyster stuffing. And this recipe has been, been in the family for generations beyond um, Grandma Sue. She doesn't even know where the recipe came from. Um, and what's funny is that the Butterfields now have an oyster farm, Butterfield Shellfish Company. And so their access to oysters just became a whole lot easier. Um, but I really enjoyed speaking with the three generations, Karen and Carla, Danielle, and then Grandma Sue. So I will now let you all sit down uh, with the Butterfield family as they walk you through their oyster stuffing recipe. I'm Sue Butterfield, and the grandchildren call me Mima, <laughs> and I'm 82 years old, and as long as I can remember, uh, there was a an oyster stuffing on the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> I'm not certain where, it, I know that my Aunt Helen had the recipe and shared it with my mom, but I'm not sure where it came from before Aunt Helen, <laughs> and she was the one that had that recipe, and I guess it was the best recipe for, for an oyster stuffing. I do like the oyster stuffing recipe now that we make it with uh, Butterfield Shellfish Company fresh oysters, but I never really liked it when my grandmother made it. <laughs> we've been making it together. Uh, we've been making it, mom and I have been making it together for probably the last four or five years. Um, and before that, it was always a staple on the Thanksgiving table. 
now we make it with fresh oysters right from the farm. Uh, previously, we would buy the oysters already shucked. They were always a little bit too large. They had to be chopped up really fine. But with, um, with the Royal, they're nice and small. They're meaty, but they're easy to handle. And because they're young, they're also easy to open. So the okay. last couple of years, it's been um, my dad, who goes by grandpa, my dad, um, Austin, and I, and sometimes with the help of Keith, who owns the oyster company, um, opening about 150 to 200 oysters. Oh, my god! Not gosh. only for the oyster stuffing. I know. It sounds like a lot, but they're because they're so young and fresh, they're really easy to open. Okay. Um, but it is. It takes, you know, it takes like an hour and a half, and it is the best social time ever. It's probably one of the best times I've had with my dad that I can recall because we just laugh and eat an oyster every once in a while when it just looks too delicious to throw in the bowl. So stuffing happens um, and that is very social and like I said, a little bit of tasting happens at the same time. And then there's a chopper. It's usually my mom, although Danielle is a fantastic chopper as well. And so it starts with onion and celery. Um, that gets chopped up pretty fine, right, Mom? Yes, pretty fine. I'd say almost minced. Okay. And and then um, there's butter involved, as, as there always should be in a good recipe. <laughs> the butter gets melted. The onion and the celery um, goes into the butter with some salt and pepper, and it gets um, cooked until it's nice and soft. And meanwhile, the oysters that have been shucked have been separated from their juice because you're going to use the juice in a different way. Okay. And they've been chopped up, so they're not too big. Um, let's see. You boil the juice so that, well, you don't boil, but you get nice and hot so that you're not adding anything cold to the mixture. So that's kind of sitting there getting hot. Mm. You put the oysters into the onion and celery mixture, and you cook just until the oysters kind of curl around their edges. Is that right, Mom? Yes. The curling is the key. So because you don't want to overcook them, you don't want them to be rubbery. So just sort of get them started on the cooking process. And then add in enough juice so that it's kind of a nice moist mixture so that when you put in the bread, um, it will absorb it all. Mom, what kind of bread do we use? I use a non-sliced uh, loaf from, you know, the bakery shop. Okay. I think yeah, we had a, like a country white last year is what we use, and we tear that into chunks. And you just mix it until it's nice and moist, and then put it in a um, uh, casserole dish. And I, I have to laugh. Or a loaf pan sometimes, too. Yeah. <laughs> right. And what happened to the oyster stuffing was it almost like the bread and the butter, it all caramelized on the top. and got oh. this nice buttery crunch by going a little bit low and slow. So that was a good discovery. Yeah. And I think on the recipe, I don't have it in front of me, but I think, uh, is it a quart per recipe, Carla? And we tried to figure out how many oysters were in that quart. Yes. Right. And then, let's be honest, we leave like, mom, what, like a small pint or something out so we can make dad oysters. Yes, yeah, so he can have his oysters <laughs> too. That's right. And I would just say, most people do not need to shuck over 100 oysters in order to <laughs> Well, amazingly, we are at the end of our hour on Coastal Conversations. I think that 
Dana, Heather, and I could have kept talking seafood for hours more and had such a great time talking with so many people. We hope that you've enjoyed these stories too. Um, it's a lot to take in. Um, so we've collected a bunch of these recipes, not all, um, but a bunch of them, as well as some websites um, where there are more recipes from some of our guests. And you can access all that on the Maine Sea Grant website. If you just Google Maine Sea Grant, you'll get to it. And then look for the link from the homepage to Coastal Conversations. You'll find the show and um, you'll have access to all kinds of additional resources. Um, any closing comments from my guest co-hosts? Heather? I guess I would just like to encourage everyone to try maybe a new recipe. A lot of these were new to me. And I think 2020 has been an interesting year. So why not continue that theme with uh, trying an interesting seafood dish around the holidays? It could be a really fun way to bring your family together. Thank you, Heather. How about you, Dana? Closing words? Yes, uh, I would like to suggest that all the listeners here give themselves a present, which is go and meet the person or people who produce your seafood. Go meet a fisherman, uh, go meet uh, a sea farmer. Uh, you're going to get uh, the best, highest quality seafood that you can possibly get. Um, you're going to support the local seafood industry. Uh, and really, you'll, you'll meet uh, a person, man or woman, um, who is probably adventurous, creative, hardworking, and knowledgeable. And let's face it, that's one of the reasons why we all live here in Maine, because of the, the cast of characters that are around the coast. And, and um, if you do this, uh, I'm guessing you'll have a good day. And, and yeah, that would be a little present to yourself. Thank you, Dana. Um, thank you so much to Heather and Dana for helping me um, meet a whole bunch of the people that you're talking about, Dana, that we should all get out there and meet. Um, really appreciate your help with this show. And um, on behalf of all three of us and on behalf of WERU Community Radio, we wish all of our listeners a very happy holidays. Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 4 to 5 p.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. And we also encourage you to listen to our sister program, Talk of the Towns, with host Ron Beard from 4 to 5 on the second Wednesday of each month. The Coastal Conversations theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good weekend.